Hi everyone and welcome to our series which is all about IMG success stories. My name is Dr. Caroline and I'm from Koju where we help people revive, survive and thrive in their medical career. So IMG success stories. If you were anything like me during your journey where all you hear is negative stories from other IMGs who spent all this time and money and struggled with their mental health and then still couldn't get their foot in the door. And that's made you think that this whole journey is almost impossible. Well, we really wanted to change the game and we wanted to interview IMGs who have made it and actually have gone on to do specialty training programs and show you that there is hope and there is a way to get your foot in the door and succeed. And that's what this whole series is about. I have an extremely special guest, which is my absolute pleasure of introducing, and I have Dr. Faraz with me. Dr. Faraz is a psych trainee slash registrar. So what that means, he's in an um, well, he's an accredited registrar, accredited trainee, and what that means is that he is actually on the Australian training specialty program to become a psychiatrist, and he is an IMG. So well done because that is amazing and that is such a huge achievement. Thank you so much for that, Caroline. I've, I've heard a fair few of your podcasts before and I'm very excited to be here. Yes, well, thank you for coming on. Like you've dedicated some time. I know you're a busy, busy man, um, you know, working at the hospital and it's just amazing that we have people that want to come on to our podcast and give others hope and give them an insight into their journey. Um, and that's, you know, we were so appreciative of that. Oh, no, no. A pleasure is all mine. I think uh, <coughs> IMGs really need to know that, as you've mentioned, that there are success stories and it is definitely possible. So I'm, I'm more than excited to be here and I can't wait to tell everybody what the journey looks like. Yes, thank you. So let's get started. I hope you're very comfortable with being interrogated because that's what this is. Um, I just want to know basically everything from start to finish your career trajectory. So um, where were you born? I was born in India. Um, I'm originally from there. I was born in Hyderabad, uh, a little city in the south of India. Known for the biryani. Yes, we, we've had. We won't bring up the biryani debate because I'm Middle Eastern and I think Middle Eastern biryani is better than Indian biryani. But this has been a sore topic well, between us. But biryani yes. doesn't exist in Middle East. Yes, let's park that for yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, and I did my sco- a bit of my schooling back in the Middle East. Uh, ironically, um, my dad worked over there. I did my schooling over there and then I moved back to India for my medical training. I finished my MBBS over there mm-hmm. and uh, would have been around 2017 yep. when I finished my medicine and immediately as soon as I finished, I decided that I wanted to come to Australia and I started the process then. What made you decide that you wanted to, so you want, decide you wanted to like come to Australia or work in Australia or both? Uh, in all fairness, I actually visited Australia when I was uh, about 12 years old with my family and the idea of working in a different country was very appealing. And also, I really liked Australia because when we visited, it was summer. Mm. And everything looked so pretty. It was, this, it was green everywhere, the flowers everywhere, and the beaches were beautiful. So I thought, well, this doesn't look like a very bad life to go to. <laughs> and uh, the plus side was that um, I have one other sister, and we're just the two of us. And she moved to Australia with her husband. So I thought, why not? We just, you know 
we'd have a bit of a family reunion back in australia <laughs> so the, those were my main prompters to come to australia okay so you finished up your medical degree and you sort of already had in your mind you were going to move to australia so how soon after your graduation did you start the process or even start looking into it i always well, there was a part of me that always wanted to come to Australia. And like I mentioned, I finished my medicine in 2017. But uh, I'd started to do a bit of research prior to that itself. Uh, I'd been looking into what sort of exams uh, are in Australia. How many steps do you have to take before you get to your registration? And what exactly is the trajectory of it all? But uh, in all honesty, I did not find out any about anything until I finished my degree mm -hmm. and I contacted one of the one of the companies in Melbourne that actually gives or provides bridge bridging courses for IMGs so I went to their office and had a chat with them and that was the first time I actually found out what the entire process of coming to Australia was okay did you see him in person I did yes yeah yep. so um <clears throat> I saw them in person because I'd come to Australia on a, on a tourist visa mm -hmm. and I spoke to them and they said, you know, we've got uh, a bridging program. This is what happens if you're interested. We've already started it, but we're more than happy for you to join and then continue on in Easy the next sale. one. Easy sale. Yes. <laughs> so this was the MCQ um, bridging course. Exactly. Yep. It was. Yes. And um, I did that course and... Uh, after about a month and a half, I gave my exam and I got through. Mm, excellent. So you passed first go. Yes. Amazing. So um, I guess your source of information on the process was this company, which helped you out a lot, which is great. And that's the thing. Like a lot of people, I guess, um, the source of information, I talk about this a lot, is you know, Facebook groups or speaking to somebody else who's gone through the process or somebody else's friend of a friend. And that's kind of where we get into this negative culture because either a lot of the information is given to us wrong or, um, and obviously unintentionally, or it's um, given to us with a lot of negative, you know, stories behind it. So there isn't really a place where you can just go and hear or see the, like the absolute process of it in simple terms. Like the AMC actually does a really good job where it's on their website, but they just use too many big words for my liking. And even I just find it a bit overwhelming when I go through it. So I guess in your case, it was good. You had that course. So when did you, um, when did you sit for the AMC MCQ exam? Well, I actually sat in February mm -hmm. and it was a bit terrifying because... February of what year? February of 2017. So you No, wait, sorry. February of 2018. So you graduated end of 2017? Halfway through 2000, July 2017. Yep. I came to Australia um, in about October, sep end of September, October yep. of 2017. Um, did my MCQ course for six weeks, mm -hmm. waited for two months, December, January, and ended up giving my exam uh, in February. But let me tell you that I actually gave my exam back home because I'd run out of my tourist visa, which was mm -hmm. only for three months. Yeah. So I ended up going back and giving my exam. So you, you were able to sit the exam in India? Yes, yep. yes. There's about uh, five different cities and mm -hmm. Hyderabad being one of them. And all the other metropolitan cities of uh, India, you can, you can give your exam. Mm -hmm. And if you don't get a date in a particular area, which is often quite rare, it's, it's not really a very far off travel. It's probably maybe an hour's worth of flight from each other mm -hmm. where you can give your exam. Yeah. Um, but uh, 
I, I gave it in February 2018. Mm-hmm. And again, there was this, just as how you mentioned about this wrong information being passed around. There was always this fear around giving the exam in February because you don't have MCQ exams in December and January. Mm. And everyone kept telling me that, oh, I don't, I wouldn't give it in February. I wouldn't give it in February. And about uh, my group of uh, cohort or my cohort of people in uh, at the training center were about 20, 25. And there was only three people who ended up giving in February. And all Mm -hmm. three of us passed uh, in the first go. But it wasn't as terrifying as they said it would be. It wasn't, it wasn't, I mean, I think maybe it's just your day. You might end up getting the things that you've studied for or something might need you to rack your brains a little bit more. Yeah. But it will not be, it will absolutely not be beyond what you've studied. Yeah. There's always um, these weird um, like like you know like old wives tale there's like those stuff like oh don't sit this in February because more people fail in February because they make the exams harder or like there's always some crazy ridiculous thing that you've heard so you took about three months to study for the AMC one you cleared it the first time so now that takes you to sort of still early 2018 what did you do next well the next step was the most obvious one in the pathway was to get on with my clinicals Mm -hmm. Um, but before I actually gave my exam or decided to do that I hadn't known anything that there was something called an alternate pathway as well Mm -hmm. Um, so I started taking the training for my clinical just as how I'd done for the MCQ bridging program I started doing the same with the clinical bridging program and I had uh, another IMG over there who's, who just happened to mention to me that, have you heard about the WBA program? Mm-hmm. And I had absolutely no clue then. So I asked him what it was and he said, a couple of my sisters have done it. It's all over the AMC website. But like you mentioned, the words on the AMC website are extremely uh, sophisticated. Yeah. And I would, I would, well, I would have dumbed it down for myself. Yeah. Because as an international graduate, you've got no idea what half of these words mean. And I'm just going to put it in perspective. Um, Faraz knows better English than I do, and he uses better words than I do. Um, So just earlier, you showed me a sentence, and I was like, I have no idea what that even means. So this is not because, you know, you're an IMG, you don't understand fancy schmancy words. It's just the nature of like these people that write stuff for the AMC. They, I think they just try to sound overly intelligent, and that what they do, they just end up confusing people when it's already a confusing pathway they just make it worse absolutely although i do think you're being a bit too modest no, about I, no, vocabulary there. I, I definitely look i i'm really big on admitting your weaknesses and not being ashamed <laughs> of them and i suck at english i'm terrible at grammar i'm okay with that <laughs> let's just say that your grammar is it your strongest suit <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yes after <clears throat> after that seed was planted in my head, I thought to myself, all right, if there is another pathway, let me just have a look at what it is. But at that point, I didn't know that the WBA program was something that I could do. So after I found out about the WBA a bit more, um, I realized that the most important thing about having WBA was to to have a job. And... This again, this was what I found out after sending out 
countless emails to all the WBA managers listed on the AMC I, website. I did the exact same thing. <laughs> and uh, in all fairness and honesty, I, I'd say don't get disheartened if you don't get a reply. Yeah. Because you'll get one reply for every 10 that you send. Yeah. And, and the reply is that you need to be working at this. You're basically like, they're polite. They're like, you need to be working at this hospital to even apply for WBA. Um, yeah. Absolutely. You don't You don't want to be sending them emails because... And we've explained this on our WBA podcast, but you have to be working at a hospital that offers WBA to be contacting these WBA managers. Otherwise, they can do nothing for you. There was a lot of negativity going around clinical. Mm. And that was my Mm -hmm. decision that I made. I thought to myself, okay, maybe I don't want to do this because um, honestly speaking, I'm terrified of failure. So I thought, right, if I fail in the clinical exam, I might actually leave Australia altogether. And I wasn't really ready to leave Australia. I really wanted to work here. So I started applying for jobs in hospitals that specifically offer WBA programs. In fact, I decided to fly down to some of them. Uh, At that point in time, I was living in Brisbane. So I looked up all the hospitals that offered the WBA program in Queensland. I ended up going there and I had some family in Melbourne. So I flew down to Melbourne and I decided why not do that in Victoria as well. And similarly, every state that had the option of a WBA program or the hospital specifically, I started sending out emails to them. And what I would do is I would straight away send my CV along with a cover letter rather than asking them if you have a position available. I wouldn't give them that option to reply. I'd send everything to them. So even if they decided to ignore it and just coincidentally opened my CV and found or maybe thought, you know, okay, maybe this this boy looks okay. Maybe we can get him on board or he might be half decent. It's always a possibility. So mm-hmm. I thought, why not cover all grounds? How did you get the email? Because like a lot of times the emails aren't on the website. No, so that takes a lot of digging around. Yeah. So this is a lot of these are a lot of hours spent. Yeah. So a little known, uh, well, unknown thing is that if you actually Google uh, hospital recruitment que- Queensland or hospitals in Queensland, you don't even need to get recruitment. Just say hospitals in Queensland or hospitals in South Australia, hospitals in Western Australia, hospitals in Tasmania, there's more often than not uh, a list of hospitals. And I say this about Queensland more so because I actually know that there's a proper hospital there yeah, and uh, a, pro- so a proper hospital list. And this hospital list has got emails of all of their in-charges uh, from their medical administrator to the director, the clinical school, everything's on the website. Yeah, So you've got to keep typing in the right search words for uh, on google and it will come up mm-hmm. and you're right that the hospital will never ever advertise uh, their recruitment officers email ids so i kept trying different keywords until i found that list mm-hmm. and there were there about nearly 50 60 hospitals in queensland to apply to and i was like well if i'm sending out a cv to one might as well do that to everyone yeah Yes, I, I know that WBA wasn't an opportunity in all of them, but I was like, well, at this point in time, uh, me having a registration with APRA and a job in Australia is a foot in the door. So I'd probably go and try every single one of them. Yep. And uh, <clears throat> so I did apply to different hospitals and... Most of them were uh, quite similar. They all kept saying, oh, we need you to have a job first. We need you to have a job first. We don't have opportunities, blah, blah, blah. And um, then someone recommended to me that maybe you should 
try sending out applications for observerships. Mm. Did rather, you even know what observership was at the time? Uh, I mean, I've heard I heard of its US equivalent mm. uh, that uh, they I think they call it clerkships over there. Yep. And I heard that they're just basically attachments where you're just uh, you, you're asked to follow around a, a consultant or a registrar, mm-hmm. and uh, they just get you acquainted with the healthcare system of whichever country you're in yep so i'd given up all hope and i was thinking about maybe giving the clinical reluctantly so but uh, i started applying for observerships mm-hmm. and uh, how did you find observership programs like how did you find which hospital had them the same way that i did with my cvs you're very I, savvy I've, on google aren't you <laughs> oh, well, I was I was desperate to not give my clinical. Let's just yeah. say that. But uh, by this time, I'd already had a compiled list of which hospitals seemed interested in me. So what I did was I sent an email to these same hospitals and I asked them to basically let me know if there was something of an observership program that they did. So I got a few replies from uh, the hospital saying that some some of them saying that they needed clinicals to be done as well before I could apply for an observership some said they had absolutely no clue what observership meant and uh, there were there were quite a few well when I say quite a few about five or six of different uh, five or six different hospitals that actually said that um, we do offer observership programs and uh, all you need to do is send us your CV with your MCQ pass certificate and English if you've completed it and obviously they need a few things like you're working with vulnerable people card so that's my advice that that's something uh, that often stops you from working or stops you from getting on something like this it's just everything falls into place and they're like oh where's your working with vulnerable people card so you're saying you should organize that soon i would say so because that the and it's and that's state specific though it is like, yes, yeah. but so if like, you have it in one state, yeah. it's transferable to another oh, state nice. free I of didn't cost. Know that. Yes. Okay. So when I first applied for it in one state, and I went to another one later on, just mm-hmm. because I thought, oh, it'd be nice to have multiple states done. They asked me if you have it in another state, mm-hmm. and I said yes. They wanted a picture of it. I sent it, and then it just came mm-hmm. into into my post without any check. And where do you get that done? So you would have to get it done at... Uh, <coughs> called different names in different yes, states. Yes, there's yeah. different names. Like in, different in New states. South Wales, it's like service New South Wales. It's like where you go to do like your rego, your, your, uh, exactly, your, your, your car regos, plates. your licenses yeah. uh, and all yeah. of that. So I think it's a service, whatever your state yeah. is, service Victoria, service Tasmania, service yeah. South Australia, whatever it is. Um, but basically the place where you go to get your registration and stuff done. Yep. You go there, you actually... Uh, for people who are not very keen on traveling outside of home, just go online and type in working with vulnerable people mm-hmm. and the state that you work in. Let's say you're in Victoria. Just say working with vulnerable people, Victoria. The website will come up. They'll ask you a few details. They'll ask you to upload your passport and where you've last lived. And that's it. I did what all of my online. What if you're outside of the country? Can you do this? You can still do it oh, outside okay, of Okay, so you can still do it and you don't have to be in the country. Yes. And, okay, good. Right. And and just for people, uh, just for you all to understand, uh, I've done everything based on documentation that none of my documentation was Australian. Okay. Apart from an address of a sister that I had in Brisbane, mm. there was nothing else that I had to prove that I'm in Australia except yeah. for a, a tourist visa. So it's it's not as hard even if you don't have a visa. Yeah. I, I actually, for my working with vulnerable people, I gave my 
address from of I gave my Indian address, yeah, my home back in India, and I still got it within the same amount of period of time that they would have taken for anyone li- mm. living locally. So the the sky is not the limit. Okay. All yeah. right, that's good to know because I guess like when you're saying like you were prepping for clinicals and you were doing like, you know, contacting hospitals just to factor in that you were doing this all on a tourist visa, which is 12 weeks while you're visiting your sister in Brisbane. Absolutely. Yeah. So <clears throat> I, I had a visa valid for one year and uh, it would keep uh, expiring every three months. Yeah. And uh, before the next trip that I made to Australia, I would sort of mentally or at least write it down in a, in a book or make a, a, a mental plan as to what my targets would be mm-hmm. in order to get a job or what am I looking at next. Coming back to that, if you have all of these ready, then most of them would be would probably have like a... So, <clears throat> and, and that's how it happened. I applied, um, again, like I said, I was too keen on not doing the clinical. So I decided I'd, uh, I'd travel to this hospital physically and I did so. I went there. I, I literally just asked the security where uh, would I find a recruitment manager. And this place that I went to did not have anyone by that name because they used a different title altogether. So I just asked a few people here and there around, saw someone with a stethoscope, got hold of them, asked them what, where this place was. They directed me into that place. I went there uh, and I said, listen, I... I, I've heard that there are observership programs here. I'd sent out an email. I'm just here in person because I just made up an excuse and I said, oh, I was just traveling with family. So I thought I'd come in and drop my So CV. you actually flew to just present in person and speak to the person directly and see if there was hope. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. I mean, you, you've, you're, uh, it's, it's a bit of a struggle. And in my opinion, it's a short-term sacrifice for a longer-term goal. Yeah. So I decided that... And it's a, it's sometimes it's a little bit like a shot in the dark as well. But I always say like being an IMG, because what this sounds like to me, you had a strategy for everything. And that's that. those IMGs tend to do good. Even when they get a job, they have that same mentality where they have a strategy. And um, you had a strategy, but and I always say like being an IMG to succeed, it is strategy, but then there's also there's this thing called luck. And you got sometimes the luck needs to fall into place as well. Absolutely. And I think that's what happened with my observership as well. Mm. Because I went there to give in my CV. And um, I'm a very big believer of right place, right time. But then again, I also am a believer that you make your own luck. So (laughs) they're two very very contradicting things. They are. Yes. But uh, as I've always told my uh, younger siblings that you don't pray to God and hope to pass in an exam. Well, you have to study for it and then pray as well. So, <laughs> yeah. it's it's not like easy. That. Yes. So, uh, well, anyway, I, I went there. I, I met the lady who was in charge and I gave my CV and she said, okay, fine, I'll see what I can do. And I was staying there for about four days. I rented an Airbnb out, the cheapest one I could find. Those are some traumatic memories. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> anything to get a job. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the next day she gives me a call and she wow. said that uh, our director wants to have a chat with you about the observership. Um, are you free to come in tomorrow? So I s- uh, set up an appointment, went and saw her and she said, yes, uh, we're more than happy to help you. We definitely do have this program. And she said, let's take this conversation as an interview for mm-hmm. your observership. And she just asked me basic stuff about talk to me through your CV. What have you done? What's your area of interest? Because this wasn't for a job. It was uh, 
very superficial. Yeah. I didn't get any clinical questions or anything because it was just basically an observership. So we 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 actually throw clinical questions in now. Okay. Yeah. All right. We've changed it a bit. Yeah. So just uh, if anyone's prepping, like prep for everything. Just yeah. Okay, yeah. fair Leave enough. No See, well, yes, exactly. Unturned. No, you you can't be underprepared for anything. Yeah. No, no. Don't don't make a half-hearted attempt yeah. at anything. Because if please. it's your shot, if it's your one shot, give it everything you got. Don't like be even be overprepared. So you're prepared for anything that comes your way. So if you and, and like I said this um with a recent friend that we prepped for a, a big inter- job interview, and um this person's like quite good at interviews, but we're like no no no, let's prep for it. And reason being, I want you to go into that interview and I want you to walk out saying I gave it the best shot I did that anything happens, I have no regrets. No, absolutely. I I completely agree with you. I did not expect that that would happen with me Mm. because I just went there, dropped my CV and this just came upon me and they said, well, let's just continue, uh, get this uh, conversation and we'll take this as an Mm. interview. So that happened. And I got offered uh, an observership position, which was about six months after from when I was in Australia. This was about roughly the end of 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was, I didn't have a visa or anything. They said we can do one in the next six months. So it gave me enough time to get my visa. But um, like you said, a bit of luck there. There was a cancellation in the next cohort of observers, which was starting in about uh, two months. Yep. So... They asked me if I could manage to get all of my visa and stuff done. And I said, yes, 100%. Even though at this point, I had absolutely no idea how to do it. <laughs> right? I had no idea if my visa would allow me to do this, if I could actually do it, if I'd be able to get my visa on time. Because you were already on a tourist visa. Yes. So uh, what did you need? What When you say visa, what did you need for the observership program? Like a renewal of the tourist visa? Yes, yep. because um, for international people, uh, uh, often what happens is you get a visa which is valid for one year mm. and each visit cannot be longer than three months. Oh, okay. Yep. So you can you can go out of the country and come back within a day, but you have to leave the country before the end of three months. Yes. Because if you overstay, then that's just a black mark forever. No matter what visa you apply to, yep. whichever country you go to, that's always a black mark. And that just makes things even harder. So always try and leave three or four days before. I would say three or four days because if, God forbid, you end up missing a flight, flight gets delayed, um, it's not the airport's responsibility to get you out of the uh, get you out of the country. And I think it's important for people to know that want to do the observership program that the hospital will not help you with any visas. They don't have, they're not going to apply for a visa for you. Like it's completely your job to do it. So tourist visa would be the easiest one to consider if, you know, if you're an IMG. 100%. Um, Some of the hospitals do give you a letter. And basically that letter says that you have an observership placement in this hospital, which starts from this time to this time. Mm. So if you've never been to Australia and you want a visa, um, that visa, I think most hospitals can provide a letter that's simple. However, if you are actually trying to use a basis of that letter to come to Australia, mm-hmm. I would definitely make it a point or ask your team or ask the team whoever is looking after you to mention in the letter that this is going to be voluntary work and you're not or that you're not going to be paid for it. It's yep. very important because the one and only condition that is there on your visa 
is number one that uh, well not one and only but the most important one of the lot is that you should not be paid for any work that you do on a tourist visa yep so if you are clear about that or if that letter says that clearly that this is a volunteer this is volunteer work or this is uh just you shadowing a doctor around and you will not be paid for it just to uh, that's more that's more than fine that's uh, legally allowed for you to do because your visa will come with a condition that says maximum study 3 months yeah and that can be considered your observership can be considered as study because that's technically what you're doing you're studying yeah. the australian healthcare system and you're not getting paid for it plus your most hospitals will ask you to pay some amount of money uh, for this observership program so yes. it's actually technically a course that you're doing it is yeah uh for which you are paying and not getting paid so there's really no reason for immigration to not grant you the visa if that's the only reason what you're using for more often than not people just say i've got family here i'm going to go visit them and that's more than enough for them yeah. to get the visa you come in here and the reason why i'm stressing a little bit on this is because i came here with an indian passport no visa whatsoever like i mentioned so just trying to let all of you over there out there know that it is very much possible to function on a tourist visa yeah. and if this is what you're getting on a tourist visa so you got you got onto the observership program when so what so we're still in 2018 and what month did you know we're on? in 2019 now. oh okay yeah, yeah. so when because all of 2018 uh, early 2018 i gave yes i, I gave the <laughs> mcq your side hustle yeah exactly uh, so i i was struggling and hustling all through 2018 yeah. and towards the end of 2018 i found out about the observership and then i started it in february 29 so really you're 18 months now from when you graduated and now you're doing observership program correct and so you did the observership program you got an interview at the end of it yes so uh, that was the idea behind it or well that's what they told us that you know you will get an opportunity to have an interview and i did get an yeah. interview so when did you find out you got the job funny thing was that uh, after we gave our interviews uh, i i waited for another week mm-hmm. they said that they'd let us know by the end of our observership or a bit after that but i was going to travel outside of the country because i i, I was leaving two days early mm. uh, before everyone else did because of my visa so i just went to the office and i asked them I actually went there because they made a uh, error in my name they got the spelling wrong so I <laughs> went there to get that corrected and they said um we've got something to tell you so they shut the door and made sure no one was in the room and said listen you can't say this to anyone but just because you're going to be having to travel back to India um we have to let you know that you got the job <gasps> Woo! so what how did you feel when you got told you got the job what was do you remember the feeling it was unreal Yeah. I mean as cliched as it sounds it it was unreal because Yeah. I again this is not me putting anyone down but this is just to let every single one of them or every single one of our listeners to know that I had the least amount of experience in my cohort. Yeah. Right. I was competing with a lady who had done PhD in childhood tumors. Yeah. Uh I wanted to be a pediatrician. Yeah. She had phenomenal amount of experience mm. she was at least 20 years older than i was yeah and but in those 20 years she had over 10 years of experience as a specialist yeah um and then i was competing with someone who had about 
uh, a decade worth of experience yep. and there was someone else that was above me who had about five years of um, uh, experience and yeah. when I say experience I mean experience in specialist fields yeah yeah and here I was just uh, a lame old MBBS graduate yeah, you, you just you did your internship obviously back home I did and, my internship and, and, and I left it. and then you left so you're like PGY2 and that's it exactly and this is the thing that Sasha and I constantly talk about that they don't you don't like to do well in medicine, uh, especially as a junior doctor and as an IMG, you don't need to be academically and clinically smart. You, uh, what they're actually looking for is your personality. Are you, are you moldable? Are you personal? Are you a good communicator? Do people like being around you? Because everything else they can teach you. And that is a great example how like you got a job, even though on CV, you, you probably would be the crappiest candidate on paper absolutely and my my the the amount of experience that i had on paper uh and as a side note i'll digress for two seconds here just to let everyone know that every time you do something like i have done like when you go on a tourist visa you go back home make sure that whatever your time you're in india or whatever country you're from you work anywhere does mm. not matter where yeah, you're working of practice yes very important just try and work in a clinic for all they care yeah. if it's a gp practice and you can put that gp's name down as one of your referees yes. or someone they can send an email to and ask hey has this chap ever worked with you do it yeah. doesn't matter and if you get paid try and save those receipts yeah. It, it won't happen uh, about 95% of the time it doesn't happen but about 5% of the times if you get a little bit of a cranky uh, officer at opera just save those receipts yeah but try and work wherever you can um, try and it doesn't matter if it's in a hospital in a clinic yeah. doesn't even matter if it's your own clinic but just try and just work. make sure you're working, working. as a doctor yes. so it's on your so you CV. get a one month period you work there you, yeah. you you're there for two weeks work there it doesn't matter but as long as you worked as a doctor you can put that on your cv and that's what my cv was it was literally two months <laughs> two months one month yeah three so it, do- months. it doesn't that doesn't look great no but, it doesn't look but great you hadn't ch- you had a chance to shine in person multiple times one flying down and asking if they had an observership program and then actually on the program. So when you got told you got the job, do you remember who you first rang to say, oh my God, I got a job? Yeah, I I rang my mom and dad because that journey was equally stressful for them (laughs) as it was for me because um, I'll be honest, I was the black sheep of us, of 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 brown people for lack of a better term yeah because everyone comes here they're like right mcq clinical get a job and then you get your pr you get your citizenship and then there's set goals that uh, brown people have in their minds yeah. right in between all of this you get married in between all of this you buy a house yeah uh, so there's this very set goals and targets that they want you to achieve and i was a rebel not yeah. because i wanted to be just because I thought that when there is a different option, why not take it? Not because it was an easier option. I've, I've, I spent nearly an year trying to get to, to this option. Mm. I probably could have cleared my clinical three times in this one year. Yeah. But I decided I wanted to go a different pathway. And uh, my mom and dad, in all fairness, were the only people who actually stuck by me and said, listen, you know what you're doing best. Mm. Um, just do what you think you need to do yeah and you have all of our support and everyone else just as how it comes with ethnic families mm. i got to hear so much drama yeah. so much bs oh, uh, yeah. about oh this is the wrong way to do and mind you 
every single human being that commented on how I was doing the wrong thing is not a doctor. Yeah. Or has never seen... It's so classic because like this is the same thing I experienced because um, yes, there's this weird ethnic thing where people got to like... not uh, There's beautiful parts of every culture but there also is some bad parts but everyone talks so down about what you're doing yet they've never... They're not... They either haven't done your journey or they wouldn't even attempt it or if they've done it, they have not succeeded the way you have. But yet they're the first people who criticize. And I always say that like if someone's putting you down or putting what you're doing down, um, generally look at what they've achieved. And when my thing, the common denominator has been for me, those people are all very unsuccessful people because they're the ones that like hate on others that actually try and succeed. Everybody else, like say you or me, would be on the sideline cheering a person on and giving them like words of empowerment and encouraging them because we actually have achieved stuff and we want the same for other people. Absolutely. And uh, when I when I got the job um, and upon a bit of self-reflection, I realized that why why not just, you know, do the exact same thing for every other IMG? And uh, again, you know, there is a bit of this cultural thing as well, like you mentioned in the beginning about the negative feedback mm. that you get. More often than not, it, it is from um, the doctors that have been working or they're some, somehow related to you or are from your country. And it's a very, uh, it's, a, it's a, I don't know, it's just a very strange thing why people seem to think they can't give you more information. Mm. It's not like if I tell everybody out there how to get a job, then I'm going to lose mine. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a very yeah. silly logic. I know it is. And sometimes I think it's because um, they didn't have it easy. So why should you? And that's why sometimes IMGs don't want to help out other IMGs um, or like hold deliberately hold on to information that really could benefit them. So I think this is a really good place to stop part one. And um, what I will say is please look out for part two where Dr. Faraz continues his story. You now know he got the job, but he's going to continue and tell you how he got on the psych training program. And then he joins us back for part three where he provides his tips and advice on what he did to improve as an IMG doctor. So please look out for those. Now, if you're not already following us on Instagram and Facebook, please type in Code Australia and hit the follow button. And if you haven't already subscribed to our YouTube channel, hit the subscribe button. I'm Dr. Caroline and I hope to catch you in part two and three. Bye.